0: Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks, it's Ben. This is A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers, my podcast. Nice to have you join me again, if you are joining again. Welcome along if you're joining for the first time. I've got the fantastic Eva Vutsaki as my guest today, and I'm looking forward to bringing that chat to you. I will introduce Eva properly in a minute. Heads up for a couple of uh, important uh, notifications. The first one is that Hempstead May, which is a gallery here in London, right opposite my old flat in Dorsten, as it happens, Uh, Hempstead Mayor are launching a Solidarity with Ukraine charity print sale this week. In fact, that's today. If today is Wednesday, I'm recording this on Tuesday, which is a little bit confusing. But they are launching on Wednesday a charity print sale and it will go live. It will be live by now if you're listening today on Wednesday. Oh, my God. I tell you what, I have got the worst brain fog you have ever heard of. My brain is just guacamole. I don't know what's happening to me, man. It's just old age, probably. But I just can't get it together at all. I have not been able to function this morning at all. Not that you really need to know. You probably don't care. Why would you care? The point is that if I can get through this intro, it will be a miracle for all of us. I'm going to try. So anyway, if you go to Hempstead May's other website, which is HaveAButchers.com. As in Butchers, as in Butchers Hook, have a look. Butchers Hook, that's rhyming slang for you, non-Brits. So haveabutchers.com. That is where the prints are being sold through, that website. So if you are interested in perhaps buying a print in aid of Ukraine and the British Red Cross, Ukraine Crisis Appeal, which is the charity which these prints are going to be sold for, they're going to be 50 quid a pop, so... Not terribly expensive. I would have let you all know that you know they were taking donations, but of course the deadline for the actual donations was today, which is Tuesday. So by the time you're listening to this, it's too late to actually donate a print, which would have been lovely. But perhaps you would like to buy one. So anyway, haveabutchers.com is where you need to go to find out about Hempstead May Solidarity with Ukraine charity. Print sale. All right. This episode of a small voice podcast is brought to you by the fantastic Charcoal Book Club, the first and only book of the month club dedicated exclusively to photo books. Charcoal, oh, I'm reading the wrong one, you see. Oh, dear. Well, look, it doesn't matter. I won't read anything. Charcoal Book Club, as you know, is a monthly subscription book club service. You sign up, you get a new book every month. Picked by their expert panel of curators. You don't know what you're going to get. Well, you do know. You can look on the website at charcoalbookclub.com. You can see what um, have been books of the month for the previous Uh, several months to get an idea of the kind of work that they offer and every month is a new book and it will be sent to your door free shipping in Canada the USA and Great Britain and go to charcoalbookclub.com to check out all of the details about signing up you get all kinds of additional benefits as a member as you will see and charcoal book club is still the best and only and most exciting way to stay up to date with all that is happening in modern photography. That's the closest I can get to actually remembering that copy. I should remember. I've read it enough times. We will sort you out with a new ad read, I promise. But the main thing is to go to charcoalbookclub.com and have a look at the kind of books they present every month. And there's actually exciting news to come, actually, from charcoal at some point soon. I will um, keep my powder dry for the time being. But uh, there's uh, stuff in the pipeline. So, uh, as you know, I'm going to go to the Chico Hot Springs portfolio review in a couple of weeks, fingers firmly crossed, and catch up with a few friends of the podcast and hopefully make contacts with some new friends of the podcast, get some interviews in the can for new friends of the podcast, also some check ins for you members. Also, members, got a special little announcement for you alone because there's going to be a competition. And that competition is going to be to win a copy of this week's guest's lovely book, hand-stitched episode, uh, Episode, you see, there's the brain fog. Copy 400 of 800 is available to win. And this is a members-only competition. So I'll have to check your bona fides on the list of my members, uh, according to your email address. But that competition is coming... At the end of the week on Friday, so look out on my Instagram account. Ben Smith photo is the Instagram account. Hopefully, you're a member of that or you're a follower of that account. But Eva, who I'm going to introduce in a second, is doing a takeover all week. It will be an excellent takeover because I just know Eva, and um, she's already started posting. Of course, it's uh, all week, Monday to Friday, so there will be two to three posts. Assuming you're uh, listening to this uh, early on, and if you're later in the week, then hopefully you'll catch this by Friday. If you remember, you can have a chance to win a copy of Traces Within Eva's fantastic photo book, hand stitched by her very self. I don't know if that's grammatically okay to say her very self, but frankly, if I can get a sentence out at all, it's a bit of a miracle. So, what else? You can become a member speaking of members, of this podcast for £5 a month at pod.fan and that will give you access to special exclusive additional content, namely a members only podcast every second week on the weeks that this episode doesn't go out and you will hear each guest doing a special additional set of bonus questions and answering those in their own inimitable fashion. They are All the same questions each time, so deliberately intended to be the same for everyone. And those are, you know, a way to really kind of provide some, I think, interesting and but also usable and actionable advice and information from my guests so that you can, you know, think about what they've said about certain things and hopefully uh, get something good out of it. So anyway, you can sign up. There's also a check in, of course, with previous guests. Um, members will know that I have not had one for a while or not just for a few weeks really but there will be one next time promise, promise, promise got to get a couple in the can and that will happen so um, join up at pod.fan if you go to pod.fan you should see me as a featured podcaster on that lovely platform Um, but if I'm not just you know type my address in And support the ongoing production of this podcast for £5 a month, but get special limited edition, limited edition. There we go again. See, should write this down. I know I I talk about this every time. Should I write a script? I I used to, but, uh, get special exclusive bonus content is basically what I'm saying at pod.fan. And, uh, yeah, support the ongoing production of this podcast. You can just be a supporter at £3 a month, but you don't get anything for that, apart from the lovely warm glow of knowing that you are uh, financially helping to keep this thing on the rails. So leave me a review on uh, Apple Podcasts so other people may find out about this podcast. And if you want a Squarespace website, I'll make you one and it will be brilliant. See, that's how I rush through the uh, self-promotion. Um, I, I, I find it uncomfortable, frankly. Eva Uzaki is a Greek photographer and educator based in Brighton, England. She spent her early childhood in Dracona, a small village in Crete, before moving to the mainland Greece, aged I think about 12, to attend a better school. Eva holds a degree in law, an MA in photography, a foundation in art therapy, and a PGCE qualification in further education. Mythology, memory, fantasy and the unconscious form the basis of her creativity. Her project Traces Within, the aforementioned self-published hand-stitched book, came out in 2020 and has been awarded honourable mentions at the 2008 and 2009 PX3 Paris Photography Prize competition and has been internationally recognised and exhibited at the 2009 Arles-Jurid Festival Voices Off, the 2010 Rome Photographia Festival at the Macro Museum of Contemporary Arts, BOM Gallery in Seoul, Menier and Host Gallery in London, among other places. Since 2008... Eva's been working collaboratively and intergenerationally, intergenerationally, I do like saying intergenerationally, on the family archives of her aforementioned village Dracona in Crete. Her book dummy family photo sketchbook, The Dracona Block, was selected as a finalist for the 2014 Castle International Photobook Dummy Award. And in 2015, Eva was selected for the Magnum Professional Practice Masterclass in London. So those of you who really pay attention, mostly the members I would think will may remember right at the beginning of the pandemic when I started doing the check-ins online uh, remotely uh, out of necessity, Vanessa Winship, my lovely buddy and someone who will be familiar to more or less all of you or whose work will be. She came on the member only podcast and dropped off a few recommendations for various people and books and all kinds of things, just because that's what Nessie's like. She just wanted to promote a few things, and one of those things was Traces Within by Eva Vetserky. And Vanessa had provided some text for that book, which uh, you can see if actually if you Google Traces Within, or even if you go to Eva's website, Uh, you can find that text by Vanessa and uh, that was something that that actually Eva talks a little bit about it during our chat. She felt um, kind of uncomfortable about using Vanessa's name uh, as a way to, I suppose, you know, uh, help to promote the book in in some sense. But yeah, that's that's very Eva too. She had no reason to feel uncomfortable about that at all. But um, that's how I came to know of Eva and traces within and uh, we'd never spoken before the uh, chat that we had but we had had a, a little exchange of messages occasionally Eva uh, was in the habit of um letting me know about typos in the in the show notes and that kind of thing uh, that's her her lawyer training kicking in you see because she was a solicitor so she's very meticulous and pernickety about such things but anyway she um you know she is a listener and she is a fan of the podcast and so she would occasionally uh Let me know that she'd enjoyed an episode. And um, we had a few little uh, exchanges of messages. Uh, She, uh, as she says at the beginning of the chat, is um, suffering from a bit of burnout and a little bit of uh, perhaps um, disillusionment with, I know, with academia generally. I don't know. Although she clearly also enjoys her teaching, so I'm not like trying to suggest she... uh, doesn't like it i just think it's a hard thing to maintain your enthusiasm for over long periods of time and uh, you do get burnt out i'm sure so um i enjoyed this and uh i think you will too here's you've kept company
1: for so long while i was bookmark oh
0: your your heart yeah Thank thank you for saying that i'm really excited to talk to you I was just uh, thinking about what we could talk about and um, it seems to be quite a lot of options, so I'm hoping it's going to be uh, fun to hear from you. What are you currently um, up to? Um, you're teaching mostly, aren't you?
1: Um, yeah, I think I'm actually in the burnout uh, zone at the moment <laughs> When I, and I need to have a long break to recover. Uh, I okay. think it's the two years of pandemic... Uh, online, offline, uh, blended, um, uh, colleagues going, uh, like, you know, made redundant and then this insecurity mm. and also uh, students feeling a bit lost and lonely and just like lost two years of their lives. So, I mm. think uh, I'm quite a sensitive person. So, I think, I think I've think i sensed all this um, emotional mm. hurricane going on the last two mm-hmm. years and I think I need a long break, so... I'm also binding my book I keep binding I'm now in uh, number 400 the traces within mm-hmm. book and that's that's um that's what something that kept me uh, grounded and uh, a bit sane you know using my mm. hands and doing something physical instead of staring in front of the screen
0: Oh man yeah tell me about it I I've, I've been looking at your your book because I've had it for a while you sent me one very kindly a while ago and um I was really becoming quite obsessed with the whole process of how you make these books or well, not, not your books necessarily, but any, any photo book. And, um, it's such a beautiful thing. I want to talk about it more. Um, but yeah, that thing of actually kind of having a craving to do something with your actual hands instead of looking at a th- fucking computer screen which i spend half my life doing and i just you know like uh, Alethea did a book uh, making a um, workshop quite recently and um i'm hoping she will then pass on to me what she learned because i'd love to learn how to do this but i want to i want to talk to you about that process in more depth but before we move on like this burnout thing that ha- is happening ha- how is that uh manifesting itself how are you feeling
1: I- I realize it's not depression because when I don't have to teach, I'm fine. And also, when I go in the classroom and I actually teach, I'm fine again. I think it's this idea of, oh shit, I have to check my emails. I have to prepare some content. On it's when I have to turn my my computer on. I it just something dies inside me. It, it's almost <laughs> like a PTSD. I keep saying to People that maybe a new form of PTSD is gonna come as a result of this pandemic because it's just um, inhuman. You know, we spent so many times, and some of my students had like um, black screens, so I have this also the fear of the black screen. But I cannot, um, I couldn't actually force them to turn the screens on because some of them had bad Wi-Fi, so it was all this. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and also you know we are. Um, I teach at uh, university, and uh, we are now on a strike, and there is a genuine reason—lots
0: n- of reasons—why we are on a strike. Interesting. Um, so, do you feel like this pandemic thing is going to have a kind of delayed effect in, in a sense, where this PTSD is going to kind of collectively kick in, but perhaps I think so. And, it's and, about to happen.
1: Yeah, and I also think that different people had different um, ways to h- handle the pandemic and some were a bit stronger and some were a bit more... Um, I don't know. And then you have all these conspiracy theories that divided people and then it's the vaccinator or the un- anti-vaccine people. Mm. Um, but uh, it made... I think it made me appreciate um, simple moments like and uh, uh, come to the present. Um I think it did some good things as well as some uh, horrible, deep, <laughs> subconscious, evil things that we will see mm. as a, a wave, like post-post pandemic wave. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's going to take a while to sort of unpick it all. I hope there will be some positives as well, though. Um, yeah.
1: And that's so. That's the thing with with trauma that uh, sometimes you don't realise it when you experience it. It's after. It's the after uh, the post-traumatic.
0: Yeah, 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 um, of course. Waves. Post-traumatic kitchen. stress, yeah. Mm. We I think we're probably going to be talking a bit more about that as well um going forward because it does sort of play into some of the work that you're you're doing and some of the you've got so many book projects on the go. It's oh hard my to god. Know where to start?
1: <laughs> and that's um that's one of my problems. Uh I, I have to thank the pandemic because it actually forced me to work from home. And dedicate more time to to finish the book, and I'm like, I need to do it now. Now is the opportunity, <laughs> mm, <laughs> because yeah, also yeah, I absolutely. didn't know if I'm the next in terms of um, you know made redundant or whatever. It was this constant fear that uh, maybe we're I'm the next. Uh, five out of ten of my colleagues were made redundant, so it was quite oh, an actual right. thing.
0: So you got that possibility hanging yeah. over you as well. Mm. Um, but
1: I survived. I mean
0: so far yeah well i hope you continue so far, to yeah. <laughs> yeah that's interesting i know you were, yeah, you were you were you were having some some kind of uh, challenges with the teaching and um, i don't know maybe even with maybe with the whole nature of, of teaching photography i know you you mentioned um, yourself you did an ma yeah uh, and I, I read you were talking about it in terms of it being quite dull and uninteresting um oh, what the did you read of, that Oh my god! Oh, uh, it, it's it's out there. On, it's Shit. publicly available. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I don't know if you meant to meant to keep that. Under yeah, wraps, the
1: the thing is that you know I I studied law and then um, I I discovered the photography club of the University of Aristotle University in Thessaloniki, in Greece and that was under the toilets of the law school. So photography was always a a savior, you know, a um, psychic savior for me, and then. I became a solicitor because it whatever that's what you do when you <laughs> when you come from no, no. a poor family. Uh,
0: uh, I have to I've I've got to, I can't let you get away with I'm going to have to know more about that because yes. yeah the, the the listeners need to know how you um made a transition from law you were as you say a solicitor oh God. to to a creative practice and I think that's a fascinating journey so we we want to talk more about it. But yeah, the thing about um is it you're not really I mean you are very much a practitioner Mm. um there seems to have been a kind of intellectualizing of photography in terms of education which I find kind of uh it doesn't I don't really get it personally so
1: what happened is I got a scholarship uh, and the reason why i had to finish law was because with a degree i could apply for that scholarship and it's only one person that takes it every year from greece and then i ended up doing my may so you know my MA was like my dreams come true when i was uh, 30 and actually i landed into like academia and it's a horrible place and now and now i'm there teaching it uh, but i uh, always allow creative space for my students and i tell them you know readings are okay but you can find inspiration from other things it doesn't have to be the specific weekly reading that was put there from one of my colleagues or even Mm. from me you know you just have to be free and that's that's one of the uh, you know genuine advice i give and i'm like i wish someone told me also when i was doing my may that um, okay these are some key theory names you know whatever we need to respect them we need to know That, but then uh, maybe it doesn't suit your work. And for me personally, I find more inspiration in philosophy, poetry, psychology, um, you know, Mm. even uh, science, you know, mathematics, I was, um, or architecture. Or, you know, I like, as I said, I like playing with uh, paper and then coming up with new forms. So, and, and I love gardening. Mm. But then uh, I, think, yeah. I think that's the, my problem is I, I teach uh, not as I would like to teach. you know it's, I think university is a bit of a trap for both students and uh, uh, tutors. We need a new form of education. We need uh, uh, this idea of peripatetic, you know, when you go out you walk and by walking you reconnect with your body, with nature, you find a natural rhythm and then th- ideas come. You know, ideas don't come when you sit in front of a computer. That's when ideas stagnate. It's like Mm -hmm. the death, Mm -hmm. the death of our flow. You know, we need to flow. We were made with hands and feet and a head, Mm -hmm. of course, but not just with a head. (laughs) That's the thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting point. And it seems there's a kind of fixation on the kind of academic underpinnings of or photography, but I don't know if anyone's actually learning how to take pictures. It seems like that's getting a bit overlooked, you know. It's all about the conceptual stuff and about the intellectual stuff, but you've still got to be able to take a picture at the end of the day if you want to, unless I suppose you could argue that that's a subjective uh, notion as to what No, yeah. uh,
1: In the first years, uh, you know, uh, we teach them basic photography skills, and then second year they move to, like, more cameras and gadgets. But again, it's just, you know... First, you need to learn how to observe. And I think the young generation has lost this uh, patience and uh, the natural rhythm. You know, I started photography in 1997 and the the thing was darkroom. And I really miss this meditative time in the darkroom with the radio, like uh, 2 in the morning, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you know, me and the shadows at the university just printing and dancing, this... And uh, that horrible smell in the dark room—the toxic mm. smell, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the chemicals. Yeah. Well, I, we, I've had this conversation so many times on the podcast, and it's, it's always fun to have it. But you know that the, the younger generation are, you know, into the analog thing, and that's pr- possibly one of the attractions—is uh, you know that kind of very sort of physical connection with you know doing something. Yeah. My my my, my my
1: my good students, you know, the ones who get it, uh, eventually, uh, you know, they're curious about analog photography, and they. They always buy a second-hand camera, or they try um, analog techniques, which is mm. which is promising. It's good, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I want to kind of get a bit of background, really, um, mm. and then we can talk talk more about the work because um, because it's sort of it's very much autobiographical. I think subjective is the word you might use, your work. Ah,
1: that was my MA um, uh, final uh, written piece, which I got D. Oh, really? (laughs) It was called subjective. Sorry, my laughter is loud. I hope I didn't. No, that's all right. Um, It was subjective photography, the the movement in uh, post-war Germany. And, uh, you know, I talked about uh, Christel Stromholm, and Anders Peterson, and how um, this Jungian approach to photography and you have what's the German Expressionism. And then I got D, of course, because I didn't know what I was talking about. I tried to put <laughs> Greek mythology inside. I'd made my own theory no, based ah. on subjective photography. But then, yeah, anyway. Okay.
0: It was too optimistic. So you didn't, yeah, you didn't have the kind of intellectual firepower to actually back it up. But I bet you do now, though. I'm. I. I. I'm, I can pretty much yeah. guarantee you do. Um, no, the
1: thing. The thing you know is because I write poems since I was nine. I kept telling my my professors, uh, "I, what is this thing that we have to write ten thousand words? Why does it have to be?" T- and I'm the same with my students now. I tell them, "Look, it's a thousand words, but uh, you you'll be fine if you write seven hundred or 750 or, it's this kind of uh ticking the boxes things I, I'm a bit of a rebel, I don't like. Like uh, I can I told my I was telling my professors, um, I can write you a poem.
0: <laughs> Instead
1: Instead of ten thousand words, you know.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the opposite of that, you know, the the distillation of uh of the language that you actually wanna be as as brief as possible, as concise as prof- possible. Mm. I imagine there's a lot of waffle involved in a 10,000-word uh, yeah, photography dissertation. Oh, God. A bit like there was with you, as you said, in, you know, in, in, in uh, when you did yours.
1: Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is that I actually found the origins of, uh, you know, I am... Um, in 2003, I, m- I met Anders Petersen in a workshop, one of his workshops, and that was life changing. So it was interesting that then in 2008, I found where he comes from, you know, the school of thought, this subjective photography movement, and that Krister mm. Stromholm was his mentor. And then I'm- I was mentored by Anders Peterson. So for me, it was like, a- aha moment, discovering yeah. my family, you know, and I-, I also tell my students that you need to find where you belong, you need to find your family.
0: So what is the essence of that? philosophy the the subjective because i obviously i i love anders i've spoken to him and and that introduced me to christoph stromholm who's of course you know was very influential on him hmm. but i don't know what that means the subjective photography thing and and how jung has some kind of uh part in it
1: yeah i think it's uh, like uh it was a uh, um this idea of uh, uh talking about your inner self and not really it's like using photography um, more like a, as a mirror, not like a window. So it's um, t- studying your subconscious and this idea of the creating a visual diary. And also, um don't know, studying humanity really and what it means to be human. You know, this tragic thing that is called life because life mm. is quite a harsh thing.
0: Well, whatever it is, I like that style. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. So... You're Greek or you're Cretan to be precise. You grew up in Crete. Yes. Um, so what, what kind of experience did you have of that? I, I know you had a kind of a fairly, you it was a small village, so kind of a quite a rural, presumably um, kind of fairly isolated uh, upbringing.
1: Yeah. As soon as I realized uh, I could walk... <laughs> It's funny. I was um, I was born and I had um, asthmatic bronchitis because uh, I was born through a cesarean, and the doctor didn't want to uh, work during Christmas time, so I was born two weeks before Christmas through cesarean, and my lungs oh. were not fully oh, developed anyway. And I I was raised in a house where um, of heavy smokers, so until I was three, I was like um, asthmatic bronchitis really heavy. And then as soon as I could walk and be more independent, I would spend time outdoors. And then I was cured. Ta-da! It was just <laughs> anyway. So ah, yeah, right. the village was uh, an interesting place for me to observe uh, people because it was a safe environment. Everyone knew each other, and then every night, especially in the summertime, we will have um, uh, what's called uh, what's called vegera, which means you sit with the neighbors and you talk under the full moon uh, or under the moon. Mm. It's not full moon Every day, any year. Uh, and it was a beautiful uh, thing because as a kid, you're not supposed to be awa- awake that time. And then um, I've read somewhere the word story, li- story listening. So, you know, you're a storyteller, but you're also a story listener. And that actually formed um, my imagination. Because it was uh, feeling a bit sleepy, um, hearing gossip stories, folk tales, and everything merged in my head. And I think now it's coming back. um, And that's why I want also to make the book Draconians, which is about my village. Uh, Mm. But also my village was um, a brutal place for me. Um, My baby goat was killed in Easter. It was an orphan goat. And uh, I think I was eight, and after that, I decided I want to be a vegetarian, which was like Jesus. was like uh, you know an so alien in uh, Crete. Um,
0: you had a pet goat, oh, yeah. and that and that became fit dinner, yes. basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, in
1: wow, That that's,
0: that's a harsh life I asked right my, mom,
1: my mom, my mum, mum, where is my little one? I used to call him Mikruli. Where is where is my Mikruli? And she pointed at um, the dead head i mean the head of the tongue jesus Christ. so at that time my stomach was like i got like um stress and then it's funny because in the farm you they will kill other animals like rabbits and and i will open the fridge and it was just dead bodies and at some point i thought my mom was killing my cats because a rabbit a dead rabbit looks a mm-hmm. bit like a cat or my my dad is a hunter actually one of my first um articles in a newspaper was against my against hunting and these these are my core beliefs so i i I always felt like an alien i wanted to leave and then when i was 15 i moved to the city to live with my aunt's family to attend a better school and i always knew that books were the way out from that place Mm -hmm. because um People were bullying other you know mentally ill people, people were bullying the the gay we had in the village. Uh, they're still bullying him. I mean, it's like come on, it's just uh, i I mean it's nice to be a tourist when you visit Crete. It's a fantastic island, but then when you see the layers mm. of this uh, it's a bit uh, brutal.
0: So you mentioned books. Yeah. Uh, what, what was the experience with, with this mobile library?
1: Yeah. So I, I was really lucky because the primary school we were only seven kids, so we always had uh, teachers that had plenty of time um, to spend with us. And one of them called the mobile library, and I still remember seeing the van and then going up the stairs. And seeing lots of books, like it was the first time I saw so many books in my life, and I borrowed as many as I could carry. <laughs> and then this library will come, I think, every two weeks to return the books. And I was uh, almost like the time paused. And I went into like um, you know Alice in Wonderland. I went into mm. something magnificent. And then my my dad also had an encyclopedia, and in my spare time I would just. Um, open random pages and read random facts about places. And mm. then I also had a globe and I will just turn it around and then I will combine it with poems uh, from one of the Greek poets, Cavadias um, who was also a sailor. And I will travel, you know, in the places he traveled. Mm. I said it was pretty magic.
0: Yeah. And when you c- came back to the place, um uh, having kind of gone away to go to school, uh, you were saying about um, when you were back, you needed your camera more than ever as as armor and, uh, you know, for protection and also as a mask to hide behind.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting. I think that's the magic of uh, photography. It gives you um, protection somehow. And um...
0: But what, we, what did you feel you needed, needed to be protected from? Just the kind of the weirdness of... Of feeling like uh, you didn't really belong there anymore?
1: Yeah, I think I think I always felt I didn't belong. And uh, maybe one of the reasons was my mom. My mom, um, when we had dictatorship in Greece, she moved to Sweden in Stockholm. And she found uh, another world. Like, they didn't have electricity and then she went to Stockholm in the 60s. And um, she always showed me her album, her family album, and... Described how life was in Sweden, and I was very inspired, especially because she kept mentioning the uh, trees and nature. And um, mm. there was a spot in my village next to a small church uh, that had tall trees, and I used to call it my little Sweden. So I will always find little, you know, escape uh, bubbles where I will mm. feel myself.
0: You, s- you said that what you knew as normal was no longer normal when you kind of went back there that you know every uh return was filled with nostalgia and confusion <laughs> yeah and anna- did you mean?
1: another thing is uh the people i knew were dead so that's the full title of the draconians project is draconians most of them are dead some are still alive and then uh, we had more and more uh, land workers like bulgarians albanians who the poor guys you know even 20 years after they moved in the village they were still called oh the Bulgarian. <laughs> Oh, right, yeah. so, the So, you know, the outsiders and it's like come on, you know, the kids gone to school, now the kids are there and um yeah. So mm. yeah, especially the the old because the old the old people um I used to spend lots of time in other people's houses, I just used to like going and listening to the stories. Mm. Um I also had a recorder. Uh, but in the old times cassettes were expensive so I would just record songs from a radio and delete, you know. <laughs> who bought
0: you your first camera then? What What age were you when you got your first camera?
1: I, my uncle who lived in Sweden brought a camera but uh, no one explained to me that I had to put a film.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So I will take photos. I love this, the sound. <laughs> and uh, then I realized, okay, you need a film. But before that, I, my best friend who we are... Friends since forever, uh, remembers that I used to frame. I used to use my hands and create my frames and tell her, "Look at this flower, isn't it beautiful?" Mm-hmm. But through my and that's also what I tell my students: use your hands or use a cardboard with a little hole, and this is your first and most important camera.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the, the question is then, from from that to becoming a lawyer. <laughs> and studying law becoming a lawyer and just to quote you directly I wanted to quit law from the first day I started studying it yes (laughs) that's your quote yes Um, but yet what made you stick with it then I suppose you kind of it's a bit hard to uh, turn the car around at that point maybe
1: look at some point in um, because of my granddad and his life story I wanted to interview him so again my uncle from uh, Sweden Manolis he brought me my first recorder And I was just trying to record my granddad. He never talked to me about what happened to him. Um, And I wanted to be a journalist. And a a really well-respected, bloody journalist from Greece told me, if you want to be a journalist, we talk about 1992, you should study law because the most respected uh, journalists uh, have studied law. And then 1996, I, 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 I was an excellent student. That was my blessing and my curse. Uh, So I will either become a doctor or a lawyer because that's what you do when you come from um, a farmer's, you know, background, all the dreams and the, and also my, my aunt, my aunt Dimitra, who I always, uh, who always inspired me uh, and I admired her. She was also a lawyer. So it was almost like she was the first one in the family to study. It was almost like a tradition.
0: Yeah so you were sort of following in in her footsteps as it were. Yeah and also
1: you know she was poor and then she became you know a middle class um woman. So it was this kind of you know when you come from a working class family you education is your way forward no, not in UK mm-hmm. but in other countries where education is free and uh, only for the best um the, mm-hmm. then it was
0: it's your ticket your ticket yeah. out of the the village basically or you know that yeah whatever that then leads it was to. books
1: and studying so in daytime i would just be active and outdoors and spend time with my animals and then nighttime i would just read books sometimes i would mm-hmm. read one or two books a night i would sleep yeah. 1 in the morning yeah. <laughs> 2 in the morning
0: sounds like my kid yeah um you've mentioned it already but what was this IKY scholarship that you you got ah, you said the you were the, I-K-Y, yeah. only one uh, place basically and 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 you you got it so yeah that must be some kind of indication of your perhaps your determination i don't know
1: yeah so it's quite funny because i was a member of the photography club of aristotle university but also in greece we have the the official you know technical school of photography Uh, and um, it's this kind of scholarship that if you have a ba any ba you can you could apply for this scholarship and what happened is previous members of this photography club um got the scholarship it, it's through exams uh through portfolio and through uh one day of practice and then i was like oh maybe i could do it but i kept delaying it because i kept delaying getting my b.a i hated it mm. my, <laughs> my little, degree yeah. uh, and then the the year i went to have the exams i was like super busy um being miserable being a solicitor <laughs> mm. and then I was like well I'm just gonna see how it is and then I got it and I couldn't believe it which meant I had to quit my horrible job I had nightmares every day and actually a couple of weeks before I quit um, one of the uh, m- m- my clients thanked me for treating him like a human because I speak Turkish Spanish English and Greek and um, so I had lots of immigrant cases and he gave me a hug, and I, he started crying I'm like, "That's it. I'm off, guys, <laughs> because I could feel you know the um, uh how racist the system is, and also there's no mm. you know one of the um, the defender, the other woman was trying to buy me, she was giving me she was offering me a thousand euros to pretend that I, I defend my client. I'm like, "What the heck is going on mm. here?"
0: That's interesting, actually, because I've always thought that. I've always wondered, how do people in the legal profession fucking deal with the sheer level of injustice that they have to n- navigate every single day of it? I don't know how you mm. could do that without going completely insane. It kills me. And,
1: and when I did my practice uh, in Solisto, she was a very g- a good person, and uh, I realized that she was almost like a psychologist, you know, people who go there and talk to her, like, um, like a therapy session. But yeah, also, yeah. what I didn't like in the courtroom was all this anger and all this, um, you know, people go in the court because there's something wrong, but there are other ways to, you know, learn how to respect each other and not, not kill each other. Mm. <laughs> it's like,
0: I feel, I feel like you have to be the sort of ultimate pragmatist with, in the law, in that you have to accept the flaws in the system and you have to take those victories when they come, uh, celebrate those victories when they come. Not, not personal victories, but victories for the sake, you know, f- that where something actually just and fair has happened. And then the times when. You know, the opposite happens. You have to just let it go somehow. But I don't know how. I
1: like the theory. Uh, you know, like uh, learning about constitutional rights, human rights. It was amazing. But then, as you said, in practice, there's no, there's no justice, just corruption and delays. And uh, and also, yeah. I liked um, studying the psychology of uh, the courtroom. You know, the the way they're placed. Uh, and sometimes I I will attend courts, um, like criminal cases and I will actually empathize them the killer I was like actually someone could have prevented that you know this this poor guy had such a horrible of course it doesn't justify a crime Mm. but I, I decided that prevention is much better than punishment that's why I love education you know education is not perfect but at least I'm around young people and I can see if they need any support I'm there for them and it's just preventing the worst and my yeah, my favorite yeah, yeah. catchphrase is uh, Why don't you start therapy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't drink, don't do drugs, eat well, sleep well. That's my motto.
0: That that's very sound advice, even. Yeah, and have a bit of therapy. Yeah, if you if you need it, or even if you don't need it, you probably yeah, need it. Even if it. you don't think <laughs>
1: we should yeah. all prescribe, be prescribed therapy. You know, you never know. This, this society will be a better place.
0: Mm, I think so. Yeah. It's, again, it's not perfect and it uh, there's lots of flaws in that process but uh it's still worth exploring. Oh, we could talk about that all day. Mm. I want to talk a little bit now about your book traces within um which we 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 did mention a little earlier and um it's a beautiful thing. Where were the photographs in it taken?
1: Oh all over the place. So I st- uh, it started with 2006 the white horse in Buyukada in uh, one of the princess islands in Istanbul. Because I used to spend like a month in Istanbul to perfect my Turkish and uh, Istanbul is a noisy place and I will take the boat and go to these islands where it was just horses I am. and really quiet. So it was almost like a mirage, you know, I saw these two white horses coming towards me and I'm like, that was 2006. I was in a really dark place because I had just had a major surgery and my boyfriend decided to cheat on me because he couldn't handle with the idea that I'm mortal and we die. Oh, my uh, God. Because it reminded him of his mom who died from cancer. And I'm like, oh, come on. Okay. I'm not your mom. It's 2006. Anyway.
0: So the point at the, the point oh, at which gosh. you needed the most amount of support yes. uh, of yeah, going through major surgery that was that was his cue to to be uh, unfaithful just when uh, you're at your most vulnerable. Yeah, so that's then that's a good one.
1: Uh, that's a good one. So the, after the white horse, I was like, "Wow, this is this is it. I can just uh, end my career now," which was not even <laughs> the beginning mm. of the career. Uh, and then that white horse became the the leader, you know, the the key image.
0: And that's the one on the cover of the book, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then other images, um, I mean, I complain about May, May, but what happened is it gave me the time and the space and, of course, course, the scholarship, the funds, to focus on my photography. So most of these images then is in 2008, lots from Louis, Brighton. Uh, Then I have some from Latvia, some from Greece. Um, And the sort of,
0: the kind of theme that kind of holds everything together... Uh, or the kind of underpinning idea behind the whole thing, I mean, how would you define that? It's about um a kind of j- journey through memories really in a way,
1: yeah, and it's I found this um you know the the what's the 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 fairy tale gretel and something the little Hansel kids and yeah Gretel, and gretel yeah. the little kids with the 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 bread rumble
0: the bread crumb, crumb. and um, then they
1: followed that to go back or something like that, so I'm like, yeah. oh, these are traces found somewhere traces to find your within to go back to your Mm -hmm. within so these are like images that freeze the time and then i can revisit some traumatic experiences or some uh, i mean one of the images um um the the dog inside the image is one of my recurrent uh, nightmares um like I, i was being attacked from a wolf dog looking like and uh, then when I took this photo in 2008 I'm like yes bastard now you're there got you <laughs> and other yeah. images you know there's an image of a lonely figure with a tree and that's the myth of Ageus uh, who lost his um, son and then he killed himself mm. and there's another image of the sea the moon with the mm. sea which is when I was going back to my parents and i'm like i don't want to go back i just don't want i just want this to end
0: yeah yeah and so like the style of of photograph that you've employed here is very sort of you know i was perhaps i use this word too much but it's very moody and atmospheric and pretty dark i mean dark in literally literally in 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 most ways but the, the images are dark did you sort of employ that style because it was the appropriate one for this idea or or do you just shoot like that
1: the thing is that if i take my glasses off uh, that's my actual vision i see blurry and i see i cannot distinguish the parallel with the vertical lines i have a stigmatism and myopia so um that's how i see the world and actually um as i said in um when i used when i used to live in the village in daytime it was either going to school or helping my parents so it was me Performing, being someone who I wasn't. So that's my cat.
0: Yeah, that's okay.
1: And uh, then joining. And then nighttime was always uh, my me time, when I will escape through books, or where I will listen to the night birds, or listen to the um, the stories of the old women in the village. And actually, it became almost like a like a habit to, to consider night my own, and and mm. find the light in the darkness. You know, like a metaphor. Mhm. And I and uh, my my next projects have images shot in daytime but for some reason traces within had to be all shot in nighttime or indoors. Right.
0: Okay, so those were the sort of parameters that you set for it and and that gave it a kind of a kind of coherence really. Yeah. And also that there's no it's designed to have no beginning no end really. It's yeah, uh, about yeah, tell, talk about that because, but basically this is where we, we, we now come really to the other thing that, that I want to talk about, which is the way that you've made the book and the design of it and how that obviously is very much kind of key to that kind of underpinning idea that, that it's to be viewed in, um, um in, in, I don't know, a number of different, uh, ways i suppose yeah it's um let me um try to explain to the listeners because they can they can look at it um they can find it online and there's videos on your website but i think you call it a trifold uh design so you've got a little dummy there yeah which is very cool i'm I'm really want to talk to you about these things um it's yeah. So it's, it's almost like three little books uh, glued together, essentially, mm-hmm. and and you've handmade it, which I do want to ask you about. But h- how did it all sort of come together? The ideas.
1: So I've been attending bookbinding courses since I think 2014. So I attended a workshop with uh, Akina. Another Bo- Akina. Yeah, it's in London, and then um, something in Latvia. With Nico Baumgarten, who taught us how mm. to bind, and then I, I'm, I've been watching uh, YouTube videos from C. Lemon, who's a fantastic American um, craftswoman, you know. But she has lots of bookbinding uh, videos. And in- what's
0: her what's her channel called? C. Lemon. C. Lemon. Yeah. Okay, I'll check. I'll check yeah. it out because I was trying to find some. Go on.
1: Yeah, and then uh, in 2017, I was playing with paper because that's what I do to relax, and I made this. And then I put it in a box where I have other experiments for the future projects. And then uh, in 2019, I think, um, I was like, okay, I need to do this book. Come on, it's ridiculous. I need to, mm. But I need someone to push me. I cannot do it on my own. So my friend uh, Jackie suggested a designer called Emily Macau Lai, I think. I hope it's correct, the surname. Uh, she's the Stanley James Press. She's the woman behind this um and uh, we bonded so well it was she could she asked she also asked me to read some of my diaries as a way to have an insight uh because actually traces within is my visual diary, but I keep diaries since I was twelve you know have uh, right. uh, long diaries uh reflective uh writing and creative writing and things like that. Uh, and, uh, it's funny because Emily also came up with this idea because I told her I needed to flow. I don't want beginning and end. That was the thing that was blocking me. It was like, which image should be the first and which image should be the last? But couldn't yeah, figure it a out. It was because
0: fundamental, uh, struggle to, you know, in terms of sequencing a normal book, right? You've got yeah. to, you've got to go in that direction it's at such, some point.
1: So it's funny when Emily suggested that, um, uh, structure, I was like, Oh, I just realized. I also did this little thing, 2017. Oh, so you've got,
0: yeah, because you just, they can't see, but you've got a tiny little yeah. uh, kind of mock-up, a little um, dummy, which is, um, yeah, very small. Um, 2017, just,
1: uh, that that explains how slow I am. <laughs> how mm. I'm like... A, baby steps like one step at a time and then three steps back and then half a
0: step Yeah, but then it you know fate's taking a hand It's ha- it happens when it needs to happen right i mean if you hadn't come up with that design then how how you wouldn't this book wouldn't be what it is because they're there what it means is you can open it up almost completely but you can um, look at the pages in and different number of yeah. of different sequences. How, what's the, there's a great uh, piece yeah. of mathematical uh, nerdery yeah. that I, yeah. I want you to share because I know you pro- you're probably it sounds like you're you're quite interested in mathematics. It's but, yeah. thirteen
1: to the power of three, so it's two thousand one hundred ninety-seven combinations. I started counting two thousand one hundred ninety-seven. I yeah. started counting and then I felt this I'm like, okay, that's that's the the formula. It's thirteen mm. to the power of yeah, three. Yeah, it's
0: quite it's it's quite straightforward because yeah. I've done it. I can't I can myself just to check <laughs> i'm literally ma- i'm numerically illiterate but i thought all right so that's 13 times 13 times 13 right that's a quite a simple sum, really. Yeah. so then it's 13 pages in the first section and then 13 in the middle one and 13 in the last one so you just go 13 times 13 times things uh, that's 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 taught me that mathematics doesn't have to be as complicated as i thought yeah, it was
1: and mathematics was always you know i i remember my maths teacher were always amazed when they would look at my notebook because we had i don't know two exercises as homework and i will do 10 I, I was like i almost like a game for me and that's again maybe we, kids are not taught mathematics in 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 the way they should be taught you know it's a playful thing it's a beautiful mm-hmm.
0: thing yeah 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 i was just talking to peter fraser about mathematics uh only in the last the last episode um, so, but, so this, this hand stitching thing, you learned to do that. Did you say it was at the Latvia? Was it the ISSP yeah. thing? Oh, cool. So that's where you first learned how to do it. Cause and that's I was actually thinking,
1: where, where I met um, uh, Vanessa in 2010.
0: So Vanessa Winship. Yeah. yeah. And that's how come Vanessa did some text for this yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. In fact, um, she she read it out. I think she read it out on the Members Only episode um, that I did some time ago when she uh, decided to come on and just uh, recommend a few things. And one of them was your book. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. she uh, said that. Yeah. yeah. And and she read the, the little uh, bit of text that she um, wrote for this. I
1: just love, I love the whole of the text. But I I'm, I was so scared that, oh, maybe I shouldn't put the text. Maybe I shouldn't use Vanessa to endorse me. I, f- I, f- I have these stupid ideas that I'm like, I have the imposter syndrome that I don't deserve mm. anything. You know, I'm just, a,
0: really?
1: I'm just a loser. Anyway, and in the end... <laughs>
0: well, no, not anyway, not anyway. I'm going to come back to that. God. Go on, go on.
1: Okay, and then I told Emily,
0: let's not put the text.
1: Emily, my design, designer, was like, she said, it's a beautiful text. I said, I know it's a beautiful text. Not put it. And then I'm like, the li- I think the, the night before we send the everything to the printers was like, Emily, we have to put it. Let's put it at the back, like a little embrace, like a hug. So if you look mm. at the book at the back, the back cover is uh, like I give, uh, Vanessa giving me a hug to keep me safe. It's very oh, sweet. Oh, that's
0: beautiful.
1: And uh, I like the first sentence. She told me she was the daughter of a farmer from an island I visited a long time ago. And, Which uh, sounds like you. Yeah, it's me. And uh, the last, bit saying these are moments of a certain kind of solitude that still manage to find a connectedness mm. always walking mm-hmm. always walking which is true you know with vanessa we've been walking the seven sisters and always walking when we meet
0: yeah and well you talked about walking to, to you know to start with in terms of uh, it being a good way to get the ideas flowing and mm-hmm. uh, so that's a, a nice little kind of connection there and I think it's, I think that, yeah, it is a lovely text. Um,
1: and, and yeah, and Vanessa and, is uh, one of the photographers I always wanted to meet. And then when I met her, I'm like, she has the soul of an old tree. You know, this is Greek mythology talking now. In mm. ancient Greek mythology, we believe that all trees have an nymph living inside them. Like, uh, so Vanessa has this kind of wisdom and calmness of like an ancient soul. Like, I don't know if it's, uh, mm. if you can understand what I say. I love Or that. is it too Greek? Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, it's not too Greek. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, yeah, I, no. I, I know. I'm fascinated by that. Um so did, so it said you think that um what is it that a, an old tree has an infant living inside. Did
1: you No, say? no, uh, in, a, uh, in ancient Greece, uh ancient ancient Greeks respected trees because the nymphs used to live there, like female nymphs. figures. Yeah. So, they would yeah, just yeah, protect yeah. protect uh The tree. And uh, uh, that was my first poem in in the village. You know, as I said, I was a tiny observer, like always traumatized (laughs) because they cut my favorite tree, which was like a thousand year old olive tree. And I used to touch Mm -hmm. it every morning before going to school. I used to take that shortcut and touch the tree and then they cut it. And my poem was like uh, about a hungry bulldozer destroying the whole village like a monster. But you know, mm-hmm. it it had in Greek it uh, it had a it was a nice verse. Uh, but my first poem came out of um, anger mm. and sadness. Really, I was like, why did they cut the tree? Why did they? Yeah, uh, to to extend the road. But actually, because oh, right, we yeah. are in Greece and everything is co- about corruption, it was the um, uh, I don't know the person who was responsible for the road got the commission. But, you know, it was all about mm-hmm. money-making. So, uh, and a that tree is, had yeah. to be sacrificed. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, also, a, a tree that, uh, you know, uh, up to that point survived for a thousand years, yeah. which is, you know, and there is something profoundly sad about that because it really, you know, on a kind of symbolic level, it speaks of the kind of stupidity of, yeah. of, of mankind, really. You know? yeah, And the, it, like, the,
1: the roots were actually, it was up on a hill and the roots will be, I don't know, five meters long. It was, you know, now... It can be my childhood memory talking, like uh, you know, overemphasizing <laughs> or mythologizing. Sure, sure. But it was a, a beautiful tree.
0: What made you decide to publish the book yourself? And and um, you know, what was that experience like? I suppose. Um, tell me a little bit about your kind of thinking behind those decisions, because you, as you say, you c- collaborated very closely with the designer. Um, I don't know who did what. I, mean, I guess it was. You'd brought this um you, well, you brought the overall kind of um design of the book in terms of that little dummy that you created, this trifold thing. And um but you did have it properly professionally printed. Yeah. So it's not it's not you know, it's not kind of it's very professional, but you have stitched these fuckers together individually, um, on your own. And you st- you were saying you still you're still in the process. I mean you've you've done what, four hundred 400, or something? Yeah. Um, so that's yeah tell me about Um, about the
1: thing is that in 2011 I show my photos to Ramon Reverte who has RM editorial and he was very interested in publishing the book but he also wanted uh, 10,000 euros (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and here comes my mathematician brain and my low degree
0: Saying, yeah, and ten thousand mm. euros isn't even that isn't even the most you're likely to get asked for, either. It could be could have been um, a lot more than that. But yeah, yeah sorry.
1: Yeah. So then I'm like, I'm um, I like the idea, and the idea was that I will crown fund and find the money. But I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna make ten thousand. So it was many like one or two years that I flirted with this idea, but then Ramot had other priorities, and uh, then I started learning how to bind 2014. And then I'm like, I'm going to do it myself. And I made so many dummies. It was like, a, it's a joke, so many dummies. But it's a good thing. Now I can tell people how to evolve <laughs> much quicker than I did. And, and then uh, with Emily, I felt safe again. I felt like uh, someone, because someone can make the final decision for me, that the, it's, uh, the exact millimeter is fine, the files are ready to be printed. And uh, another thing is... Um, I think it was 2014 or 15. I did crowdfunding. I did Indiegogo, and I made 50 percent of the expenses. So that was um, minimized the risk. Uh, right. But then I had I had oh, I had the time, but I didn't have the money. And then I had the money, but I didn't have the time. And Emily brought everything together. So she asked me to send her all the photos, and she created a, a new flow. And then I, I I asked her to move some. Photos, uh, you know, to one section or the other section, uh, and then I realized that the first section is more like earth, the second b- booklet is more like fire, and the third booklet is more like water. If you see, it's like a brown, red, um, blue. The, the elements. Mm, so, d- interesting. Did I reply to your question? Yeah. So it was a long uh, journey. But the funny thing, yeah. the funny thing is that this Paris photo, uh, I met Ramon and I gave him the book, and he said it's a beautiful book. And so you know, and he he's happy to support me for my next books. And um, what I find the most difficult is distribution and and the post office, especially after Brexit.
0: Mm. So that caused some problems So in other words If you publish a book with a proper uh, You know established publisher Then then obviously they're going to take care of the distribution But if you yeah. do it yourself you've literally got to Figure out where to send them and how And so that was a problem I've
1: been really lucky though because the Bookstore, The Photographer's Gallery TP Bookshop and Setanta They all sell my book, they all contacted me So it's you know a, There is support for uh, self-publishers And mm. I really liked how you know they they supported me, and I've sold quite nearly like a hundred copies through them, so that it was good.
0: Right. So, do you think
1: you'll actually make some money? Yeah, uh, as I said, I had fifty percent because the the printing cost, yeah, an extra fifty percent, and then I had the cost of the um, graphic designer. I uh, but yeah, I I covered my cost, and I now I'm just into the uh, raising funding for the next books by selling right. traces of things so i think i i will so stick just, with yeah, self this self publishing in. yeah i will stick with this self publishing because uh i like uh, being independent
0: absolutely i was well i was going to ask you about that because obviously you know that's one of the attract- attractions of doing it yourself you can be people can still order this book on on your website and um or from any of those other mm. uh aforementioned um websites and places but um i think you're going to do 800 are you
1: yeah so now yeah i've reached half uh, wow
0: you must be very um good at stitching these things together now
1: it used to take me longer now it's just i think six minutes per booklet so no i think 12 minutes the whole book so it's not bad i have a.
0: yeah have you thought about teaching a workshop on this because i'd sign up Bookbinding, actually.
1: Yeah, 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 and I like, I will play, uh, I'm playing with like different forms for my next books. I also like long stitch uh, mm-hmm. or um, uh, Coptic stitch, exposed spine. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, see, this is the stuff that I'm tr- I'm interested in finding out about. But maybe I'll I'll check out that lady's uh, YouTube channel that you recommend yeah. for a start. She's
1: she's good because you can pause the video and watch the game. And, yeah, uh, and she's not like she's American, but she's not like loud. Uh, sorry, American. Okay. <laughs> American. <laughs> if you have any American listeners, there's no. I have a lot
0: of American oh, listeners. Sorry. I'm sure they won't. No, I'm sure they won't take that in any way, the wrong way. She
1: has a calming, <laughs> calming voice and calm yeah. music. It's just beautiful, and the videos are very professionally made. Yeah, I actually mm, sent mm. her a, a copy because I told her, "Thank you for teaching me oh, that's through beautiful. YouTube." Yeah, and also the reason why I sent you a book is because you know I I was burned out from screens, and I'm like, uh, I'm I'm gonna get this speaker like a JBL <laughs> mm. and uh, start listening to podcasts, and I'm like, Ben, okay. And then your voice became my companion, and uh, your podcasts are amazing. And well, that's uh, brilliant! Yeah. I'm, I'm so I've been so finding books, listening to your interviews.
0: I'm very honoured to hear that, yeah. and um, it's it's lovely to, to know, though a little bit alarming, that you have to listen to my estuary English, as they call it, um, my my accent. Uh, it's lovely to know that you, you've been listening, and I hope I hope you know some of those. Photographers that you've heard yeah, on and I, here I have can, uh, been I, inspirational.
1: I can identify, especially with uh, pr- uh, photographers who describe the problems in our industry or the problems in education. It's like, or how do you survive as a photographer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. well, it's a, it's an ongoing struggle and a perennial question. Hmm. But what about this uh, imposter syndrome thing? What's going on with that? Why do you, why do you feel that? Um, uh, you, you, I think you talked about it in terms of feeling like a misfit.
1: Yeah, so I was, you know, I'm, I'm a, like a farmer's daughter and I know how to grow my own food and I feel confident in the fields or in under trees. <laughs> but then when I go in a gallery and there's an opening, it's loud and alcohol and it's just... This pretentiousness—I don't get it. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. It's just disgusting, seriously. And I—I I, force myself to go to uh, Paris Photo. As a, for me, Paris Photo is like the encyclopedia of photography. You go there and you just see where photography is heading. But it's overwhelming. It's just—it's um, too much. I have to mm-hmm. wear headphones and just uh, uh, meet my friends. You know, like um, breathing breaks. But I, this is what I don't like in the photography world—the pretentiousness.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is it? Is it? Do you think it's possible to avoid to avoid it in some way? I mean, it's not all that way. I um, maybe the fine art world and the gallery world is worse than the photo book world. Well, mm-hmm. the photo book world can be a bit precious. Um, yeah. And I then and then, pretentious, but yeah. not so bad, maybe.
1: Yeah. And then it's the you know I was encouraged. Maybe I should make um, collectors. Version. I'm like, no, I'm, I don't want to fall in this game, you know. I remember buying um, uh, Dasuke Yokota's the first his first book, uh, The Backyard, for five euros. And I think at some point it was 3,600 pounds. And my husband, really? at that point, we wanted to buy a house. My husband was like, sell it. Yeah. <laughs> for the deposit. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, no, because when I bought that's the a book…
0: Hell of a, like, that's a hell of a profit. In, uh, there's a hell of a kind of increase in value.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I want to keep it because it was one of the first books he made and it's a beautiful one. It's a very simple one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I suppose it's nice when you know that they're worth more than you paid for them, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're ever going to sell them. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah. You know.
1: Also about the imposter syndrome is because um, my my dad was a Good dad, but he was also verbally abusive, like he will swear and he will just shout and he was uh, uh, emotionally a bit unbalanced. I mean, he it's okay, he's who he is and he's a lovely guy, but I have this uh, kind of uh, fear of failure or like fear of, um, I don't know, negative uh, thoughts in my head, which are not uh, necessarily mine. They've Been uh, you know that's that's like childhood trauma and many years of trying to figure out what's going on and also transgenerational trauma and uh, anyway that's linked with one of the books I want to um, make.
0: Um, tell me, yeah, tell me about that one because I know it's it sort of starts with your with your grandfather, which I yeah. s- presume is your is your dad's dad.
1: Yeah, it's my dad's dad. S-
0: so maybe there was you know maybe that's partly why he he was like he was your dad. Um, Maybe it was about transgenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. What have you come to understand about what that is and and how it works? Uh,
1: The thing is, my granddad was one of the only people who was captured from the Germans in 1943 and uh, was taken to Mauthausen in the concentration camp. And uh, he, you know, two years, he stayed there. And then when he was uh, liberated, uh, he couldn't reach Greece because the Greek government doesn't give a shit for the greek citizens <laughs> even back then <laughs> anyway we had our own troubles as a greek society and even
0: the ones who just spent two years in a german yeah, concentration yeah. camp they they couldn't find their find it in their hearts yeah. to so sort it, of uh, welcome them back
1: it took him a while to arrive and uh, he was declared dead he had his funeral and he ended up in a mental home like locked and you know traumatized deeply traumatized no one knew what ptsd was back then um I, I have to admit that it, maybe even now um, in Greece, we don't really understand post-traumatic stress disorder or trauma. Anyway, he came back and then he he gave, uh, he made him. Um, my, my grandmom, they had two more kids. Uh, but I remember as a teenager, I, I used to ask him, Grandad, you know, how was the, a concentration camp? You know, I was curious <laughs> with my cassette, the massive cassette. <laughs> and he wouldn't talk to me. See, so he didn't say anything, mm. and I read uh, I read a book uh, called uh, "The Body Keeps the Score," and uh, yeah. it says um, there's a line saying it takes enormous uh, courage to to talk. So it's very common for survivors to not want to talk. Um, but then I could see through his alcoholism that he was trying to self medicate.
0: <coughs> oh, this this is your grandfather, yeah, not the your grandfather,
1: grandfather. Mm. and then uh, that's that's. Th- the thing in Greece is uh, it's uh, more normal to drink instead of talk if you're a man. And um, anyway, that's my d- granddad called Yannis. And then my mm. brother Yannis, in 2000, he had a mountaineering accident and um, he stayed with uh, his dead friend for two days in a cave. So Jesus, his yeah. his friend fell to his death like 100 meters in the cave. And my brother survived physically. But I'm not sure he survived mentally. So that was in 2000, and then uh, in 2003, that was the first time he went in the mental home, uh, mm. because it was the the guilt. I also lots of survivors have to deal with the guilt of them being the survivors. Because I'm mm. I'm reading lots of uh, because my granddad never talked. I've I'm reading lots of um, uh, you know Primo Levi and other books, and it's very common for survivors to feel. That they they didn't deserve to survive because there were other prisoners who were stronger, more clever, more creative, more, and, you know. Yeah, uh,
0: terrible. But, and it sounds like, so the Greek culture... You know, it's kind of a bit of a macho culture in the sense that men do not talk about their feelings or anything as kind of uh, wussy as that. They're just more likely to, like you say, have a few drinks and uh, perhaps keep it to themselves.
1: Yeah, And and that's why also um, I would like to make this book uh, in collaboration with my brother and I want him to be present when I give talks in Greece. And when I asked him, uh, what title shall we give to the book? He said, um, A Human's Tale. In Greek, it sounds more poetic, historienos anthropos, you know, his story, anthropos. Because what happened to me can happen to anyone. And I was like, oh, so moving.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But you you think that possibly his kind of mental health problems stemmed from that one traumatic incident when he was in a, trapped in a cave for like yeah, say, it two the, and a half days it
1: was the cave and also like uh, like I have some you know negative thoughts about myself or like you know it's this kind of chronic um, abuse like verbal abuse like this uh, not feeling nurtured or not feeling supported or not feeling mm. somehow loved because I think you know when you're, a, when you're a child you expect this kind of unconditional love and for me mm. it was like bring us good grades, be a lawyer, and we love you. It was a weird thing. Right. So it so was it's like, kind of
0: transactional.
1: Yeah, hard, hard working because they, you know, they were like post-war people uh, in Greece, uh, you know, a poor country. And um, that was the way to feel, to be successful, like uh, education. But that put mm-hmm. enormous pressure on me. And
0: well, they had all their hopes riding on you in a way. Yeah. And so your dad kind of was hard on you like you say verbally because there was that expectation that weight of expectation yeah that,
1: that was his way of showing love which i understand you know and also there is a deadline where you have to stop blaming your parents for all the <laughs> bad things happening well, in your life is there, is there though is there, yeah. <laughs> that's a good question no. yeah. but um it's funny because i totally understand where he comes from and it's funny because one day he was swearing again and like that at this age, you may get a, a stroke, and I started laughing. So you know, humor is uh, the thing that connects me and Dad. And he also mm. then stopped and started laughing because it was
0: hilarious. Yeah, and and but your mum, she didn't kind of, get, she didn't bring any sort of counter uh, to 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 him. Like she she wasn't that kind of uh, nurturing either in a way.
1: Um. Well, women in Greece at that time they're a bit like. Um I don't know. Um, yeah, used to that. That's how things should be. I don't know. Mm. Uh, the other thing that my mom did is uh, once my brother started having issues, uh, she will use me as a um, you know like um, as a confidant, and that was unbearable. And I I remember when I attended a cofer- conference in London from um, a, a Rethink Siblings Connect. That was a conference I think 2011. There was a room full of two hundred siblings. Who act- it was a conference for siblings who had siblings who were mentally ill, and that was a liberating moment in my life uh, because I talked with other siblings and we talked about this um, stress that we have and anxiety and uh, you know because a siblings relationship is is the longest relationship you will have actually you know um, and uh, I I. I, I, I had to stop being the perfect child because it was um, paralyzing.
0: Yeah. So this book that you're going to do, I mean, what are your kind of intentions for it? Um, what are you hoping that people will be able to take away? Because I, I imagine, it, I mean, is there any hope to be to be taken from it um, as far as, you know, mental health issues go and, and, and the sort of, the seeming kind of, unresolvable nature of, of some of those types of of condition
1: i i would like my brother to start talking more about the fact he survived and uh instead of drinking to actually use his energy to do something more um uh, useful and also another thing is that part of the profit will go towards him to help him improve his life like two things that will help him uh, and there was another book um Called the big brother from uh, what's his name, Louis. Uh, Louis quail Yeah, and it's funny because I mail him, I mailed the photographer, and he's he's happy to um, to check my book before it's ready to be published. You know, oh, it was very sweet. Yeah. I I felt really connected with this book, um and I'm like, yeah, I
0: was going to talk about Big Brother. I'm, I presume you have a, have a copy of that. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's very important. I'm like, it's very important. To share these kind of stories, which are really difficult, and also, you know, when it involves family, now I'm like very conscious that I've said some horrible things. (laughs) But uh, horrible things happen in every family. Happy things happen in the same family. Funny things happen. Uh, We actually use lots of humor in my family, and in Greece, it's like comic and tragedy at the same time. Mm. And it's it's important to break the stigma and say. I also say to my students, you know, don't drink, don't do drugs. talk talk to someone you know or talk to a professional even better Mm.
0: yeah 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 and so your family has kind of proved to be quite an inspiration for your projects you know it's been a Mm. jumping off point for quite a few of them um what, you're going to do one about the village as well, though. Yes, draconians. It's, it's
1: draconians, uh, most, which, which <laughs>
0: led me to to start to wonder what what is the origin of that word draconian. I had to. I thought, well, I've got to look this look this up. And it uh, I, Draco, or Draco was a a, a Greek. Wow, well, what was he? So was he a legislator? A legislator, a, a, lead, yeah, a legislator, yeah. a, a legal kind of mind. So that's where we get draconian from.
1: Yeah, the strict, the strict rule. Yeah, but uh, yeah, strict rule. Draco- dracona is the village so people from dracona are called draconians it's not related mm. yeah it's quite interesting people lots of people will confuse it but then it's also an alien race in doctor who <laughs> it's right, an imaginary right. race apparently this race hates humans and they cannot show their emotions there's there are some phrases in this imaginary you know a race description that i'm like that's actually like my the people in the village, maybe. But it's funny because when I was a student, I saw one of these metaphysical uh, magazines in a kiosk that said, Draconians, who are they? Where do they come from? And I was like, what the heck? Um, and I read, yeah. that's where, where I found out that Draconians is an imaginary alien race. But in some some conspiracy theorists believe it's a proper race. I'm like, dudes, it's, it came from <laughs> someone's head. Jesus
0: yeah, well, hopefully they won't ever visit your village because that would be weird if they think that, maybe yeah. they think that's where, yeah. But the dracona,
1: dracona also in uh, in Greek means the massive, the big stone. So it's the big uh, stone. Oh, so okay. You cannot really move. And my village has some big stones.
0: So that, so it's named after that rather than after the, the legislator, no, 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 no. the aforementioned. No. Okay, because that confused me because I am- immediately assumed that it must be named after him. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Because Interesting. he has
1: a bad reputation. He was very strict. His rules were very strict.
0: Of course, no. But I, I imagine there are all kinds of terrible kind of reasons for the names of things. You know, yeah. this is kind of coming up a lot now, you know, this kind of revisionist kind of thing of uh, why do we call places, you know, like in the States, for instance, lots of... um yeah, names that they are trying to change the names of various places and various things because of the associations that that those that those names have with slavery and stuff from history. So, yeah, I presume it's still there's still lots of examples of place names that come from people who are not thought well of historically.
1: Yeah, the the other the, the other thing that the draconians the book will con, it consists of is the family photos from the people in the village. So I have scanned some of the family photos from other families, and then I have my own photos. And also when someone dies, I write a poem about them. They're very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Of course, you know, it's about the death, but it's also about the life they never lived. Um, or, or, You know, one of my favorite characters in the village was Vrujos, and he was mentally ill, and he was bullied. Because what he did is he would walk around the streets and stare at stones she would just collect stones and look at them and I'm like uh, in the poem I write that in a different society in a different era you will have been a sculptor and you will exhibit to the best galleries and they will write about you nice uh, you know right, yeah. so that's the things like um and I remember as a kid I'm um I was terrified by him because I was told that he's mentally ill but I was also I like to observe him and I'm like, he's not a bad guy. He's a really, he loves kids, you know, he's a really good guy. Mm. Um, yeah, that's uh, plenty of time in the village to observe people.
0: <laughs> now, about your mum and her story, you were thinking about doing something and, and you mentioned that she went to Sweden. Um, what, was, what were the circumstances around that happening?
1: My mum is quite a free spirit and um, I... I like her. She's like uh, one of my role mod- models, and she, her, her older, her older brother went there, and she followed him. She was like, "Fuck that shit!" <laughs> I'm <laughs> off. <laughs> Imagine my. like uh, dictatorship, uh, a small village without electricity, 60s. So she went there and she experienced the real socialism. You know, she was very inspired from uh, the way Sweden was governed, and she loved Ulf Palme. I remember. I remember her crying uh, when he was killed, and I cried too. Um, So she moved for a better future, um, and she also moved because she loved her older brother and she wanted to be, she felt safer with him instead of just in the village. Thing is, that in her era, you know, what uh, someone at her age will get married. So my mom was like, bye.
0: (laughs) She didn't fancy that.
1: No. But then she came back because she hated the cold. Oh, right, yeah. Oh. But, well, yeah. But it's interesting because I can speak some Swedish and uh, when Anders speaks English, I can recognise this melodic Swedish uh, accent and I love it.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Did you yeah. listen... You've listened to his his episode on, on Small Voice, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. he's I such really a sweet uh, character. He's very yeah. kind.
0: Yeah, I know, he really is. Yeah. So, um, well... Uh, this has been such fun and i I could talk to you for longer i really could but i want to get on and i want you to do these bonus questions for the members is that all right yes so thanks eva for chatting to me it's been really enjoyable and and good luck with all your your books to come and i'll be really excited to see what you come out with in the future
1: thank you so much it's good to meet one of my heroes
0: oh thank (laughs) you that's that's really embarrassing i don't want you to say that do you suffer no, from is. the
1: imposter syndrome too? <laughs> yes, of course I do. Jesus okay. Christ. Good.
0: Yeah, massively. Oh. Massively.
1: It's okay. It's going to be okay.
0: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>